The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, this is Beth Green, and welcome to Inside Out. Today we're going to be talking to a guy named Jim Salters. Uh, he's a businessman. He's what he calls an enlightened entrepreneur. And we're really going to be questioning him. I mean, is there such a thing as an enlightened entrepreneur? I mean, is there something intrinsic to business that you just, you know, gouge people and take advantage of them? Or is it really possible to have a spiritual approach to business, whatever that would look like, to be conscious? And Jim is a particularly interesting guy because he has been working in an industry which actually touches all of our lives, but it's an industry that has a pretty bad reputation out there in the world. That is that he lends money to small businesses, you know, guys who need to expand or guys who need to get started or guys who are just trying to hang on for their dear lives. And this industry has uh, had some pretty... Interesting. Uh, what shall we call it? Interest rates and so on. And here's Jim who comes along and he says, you can do this differently. You can actually support business and you can do it in a conscious way. So we are going to uh, interview Jim in a couple of minutes. And first I want to apologize that we're not able to bring James in at the moment, uh, but he'll be on his way because I love having James introduce our shows with his wonderful, sexy voice. So Anyway, um, in the meantime, here we are, and I want to share with you a couple of things. Uh, one is we just got the, the numbers from uh, October, and we are growing. And why am I telling you this? Because I'm so happy. I have to share it with you, <laughs> that our audience is growing uh, more and more all the time, and I'm thrilled. I know there's typhoons in the Philippines, and I know there's suffering everywhere, but here I am, I'm happy because Inside Out is growing. And <laughs> so I'm going to share that happiness with you because you're making it happen. So first of all, I want to talk to you about last week's show on Does Spirituality Improve Sex? And we got three emails after the show that I'd like to share with you and talk about. The first one is from Helen in California. And it came in just after the program was over. She said, is there a place for self-pleasuring in sex and spirituality? Well, that is such a great question. And probably it's just as well that I didn't get the question because uh, we would have had to go over about 20 minutes. And the people who come on the show after us probably wouldn't have liked that. But what we call that is sacred union with ourselves. I think the real point is, it's about intimacy and relationship. That is really what sexuality is about. And the physical aspect is really a reflection of that. And yes, we can, when we don't have a partner, we can have a sexual relationship that includes higher consciousness, God, the source, our spirituality. But it has to be based on 
intimacy with ourselves, which we often don't have because we're so hung up about sex, that even if we were intimate with ourselves, when we get down to it and we add the sexual component, oh my goodness, uh, we can so easily lose that feeling of connection. So that's a very, very quick answer um, because uh, I can't spend too much more time on that. But bravo, great question. And then Irene from San Diego said, good information, both Todd and Christine were great. And Erica's question was a good opportunity to help people deal with their attraction to their children. Yeah, we were talking about that. And I hope you have more on sexuality. We are all so confused about our sexual feelings. When I read the promo, I was struck by the statement that spirituality deals with healing. I don't think we think that way at all. It's more like spirituality is for special, hold on, I have to see this, people. Like dancing is for ballerinas and it's to lead us to God by being disciplined, not to be healed. Maybe we need to have a show on spirituality. Who would be your guest? Maybe you could interview yourself, Madame Mazurka, and the guru. Love, Irene. That's also a, uh, you know, a terrific comment because it is so true that uh, many people don't see spirituality as being about healing, and yet we can't really have um, a deep connection with higher consciousness unless we also are deeply connected to ourselves and have done the healing that's necessary. So um, finally, you're going to love this, I think. If you listen, And if you didn't listen to the show, it's on a podcast. Please do. It says, Spirituality Improves Sex. And it's from Christine Benton. And Christine and Todd were the couple who were talking about sex and spirituality last week. And she said, Hi, Beth. After the radio show last week, I thought it was great for us. Was it good for you? Haha. <laughs> Todd and I loved being on the show and were so enriched by the conversation, especially Madame Mazurka's insights about Todd putting me on a pedestal, interfering with our connection, and my not wanting to feel my desire for him because that would put me on the same level as Todd. Well, that whole hierarchy evaporated this week, at least in the bedroom. Our sex life has totally improved, so we can definitely answer yes, spirituality does improve sex. Also, we like to keep in mind what the guru said about sexual energy just being energy that goes through a different chakra, and there is still so much we don't know yet. So we can all be in kindergarten together and love each other and have fun. Love, Christine. Well, isn't that great? So evidently, being on Inside Out can also improve your sex life. So... Uh, wonderful comments. If you want to send in uh, a, a question to Jim Salters, go right ahead and email me at beth at bethgreen.org. And if our technology holds up, I should get it. So let me say a few more things about uh, the topic before we bring on our guest today. Like sex and spirituality, business and spirituality are often held apart. You know, commerce is dirty, money is dirty. Or, I have to say, sometimes people glorify business and make money God. I don't know which category you fit into. (laughs) But (laughs) some of us are just like addicted to not having money to prove how pure we are because we're, you know, pure but poor. Or poor but pure. And others have gotten it into our heads that the amount of money that we're earning is actually a symbol of how evolved we are. And that's part of that manifestation consciousness 
which has a lot of value, but it has been a little bit distorted. So um, what I would say then is you can be very spiritual and not manifest any money, and you can make lots of money and not be very spiritual. And the opposite, all of those things are possible. It's really not about that. You know, spirituality is really about how we relate to ourselves in life. So, for example, if we're poor, are we able to deal with that in a way where we don't lose our self-esteem? Like when we lose our job, do we lose our self-esteem? Or are we comparing ourselves to other people who have more than we do? And uh, similarly, when we have money, are we puffing ourselves up? Are we asking the universe to support us financially as though... um, that's really the purpose of spirituality. It's like, oh, to get us everything our egos want rather than this purpose of spirituality is to help us heal, be real, and be connected to everything. So that's just a few comments on how we generally keep money and spirituality in different categories and that we're not really there yet as a species um, in understanding their interconnection. And now you add to that business you know, where you're actually making money off lending money. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, there was a time when in the, you know, the, the Christian church uh, was opposed to earning money off money. And yet earning money off money is the way that people can manage to amass the money to lend the money. If you think about it, you know, if people didn't lend money, we could not buy homes or we could not have businesses. So, you know, there's nothing intrinsically bad about anything, really, guys. It's what we do with it. It's the way we do it, the attitude we have towards one another. Like, oh, are we sharks feeding off other people's desperation? Hey, we can do this as counselors. You know, let's say that people need counseling because they're in trouble. Well, are we trying to keep our clients in trouble so that they'll keep needing us? Or are, are we afraid to tell our clients the truth because we want them to come back? You know, anything can be corrupted. Anything. And anything can be done with integrity. So with no further ado, I would like to invite onto our show our guest who is a guy who's trying to do something different in his business and I'd love to hear him and to introduce you to Jim Salters. Jim. Hi, Beth. Hi Thanks there. For having me. Thank you. Well, Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? Because I did suggest, you know, that in the uh, in the promo for the show is like, are you a, a, an angel, the guardian angel? Or are you really a dirty devil? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I think a lot of people will want to know that. So tell us a little bit about this business, why it's important, and how it can be, uh, I mean, has been in some cases, uh, kind of a dirty business and what you're doing to clean it up. Sure. Well, our business specifically is focused on giving small business owners who can't access the traditional bank financing to get them access to capital fairly. And the other terms that are maybe used are alternative lending for small business. It, it's actually a booming industry. Really? There's 
hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars of venture capital, uh, banks that are lending to lenders in this space, private equity companies are buying companies, investing in companies. It is one of the hottest investment sectors out there today uh, that is fundamentally trying to address the, the notion that small businesses can't really access capital from, from banks. There's many reasons for that, but there's an opening there. It's well understood that small business lending is broken, if you will, uh, from the traditional sources. And so a lot of alternative providers are coming into the market. And it's, in some ways, it's kind of the, you know, the Wild West. Wow. You know, in our little promo for the show, I was trying to express to people that this actually impacts people, that if that small business on the corner that's servicing you runs out of money, it's going to go bye-bye. And when it does, that can impact your life. You know, you no longer have that great restaurant that you love or that uh, terrific doctor or the startup company. And um, actually, if you think about it, small business is integrated into just about every aspect of our lives. Would you like to comment on that? Sure. Well, it is. Uh, it's. It's spoken about as if it's a truth. You know, I. I won't challenge that truth. But small business is from the president down to uh, really anybody that I think you talk to is the backbone of our economy. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's something like fifty, sixty percent of the job growth comes from small business. The you know the innovation, the job growth. I mean, a lot of the major big corporations don't generate a whole lot of new jobs. Mm. And so, when we talk about trying to you know our economy as a country, and obviously that's interlinked with the global economy, but when people talk about what has to happen for the United States to get on a stronger economic footing, which affects everybody, employment, tax revenue, mm. innovation, the kinds of things that have allowed the United States to have such prosperity for so long, it is ultimately about the health of small businesses in this country. And so, absolutely, I would 100% agree that it is a it is a it's a critical national uh, infrastructure. Our small businesses that that we rely on in many ways that we don't necessarily uh, typically think about. You know that is fascinating because I had only been thinking about it in terms of, oh, small business. This is the guy that uh, you know produces something that I need. I hadn't been thinking about it as how it's creating revenue, which then supports the whole. And of course, that's a really important point. And in addition to that, we know that this is global because in many places, it's small business people who are getting the economy going around the world. This is not just an American situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Jim, I'd like to ask you some questions about the way this, because you called it the Wild West. I want to ask you some questions about how this business of lending money to small businesses, how it has been, and how, and what you, and be very honest about what you see that was working and what you think was not good, and what you're going to be doing about it. But before that, uh, we, so we're going to be going to commercial break in just a couple of minutes, so uh, I hate to get you on, on such a uh, hot topic, but let me ask you, how do you feel about getting on international radio, we hope, <laughs> and talking about your industry. 
I think uh, a little uncomfortable. I think uh, just because I think uh, you know, just in my in my experience, in my you know, our employees' experience, the first time we describe what we do, I think almost always the first connotation is, "Oh, you guys are loan sharks." Mm-hmm. And I think that there's always this notion that uh, just by nature of being a part of this industry, that we get painted with this broad brush that you know that, that we're loan sharks, and there's something fundamentally possibly morally wrong with what we do as an industry let alone our role in it and our approach to it mm-hmm. so i think there's that always causes i think probably a little bit of uh, anxiety <laughs> about talking about it because i'm you know quick to want to explain you know our, the differences or uh, address maybe some of those uh, notions that lead people to kind of come to that quick uh, assessment right away well that is a very important point because let's say there are some people out there right now who are small business owners and who need capital, uh, or that you know somebody who does, and if you have the attitude that the only option is to go to a loan shark, and then the godfather is going to come in and break your legs when you, know, when you haven't paid, uh, people might shy away from getting the support that they actually need. So I think that that's a really good point and something that's very important. And by the way, I am so delighted to announce to you all that James is with us. Hi, James. Hello, Can you hello. I'm now alive and well back uh, on the air. Okay, I'm so happy to have <laughs> you, my my partner, yeah. and um, I'm so glad you're with us. And with that, I'm going to invite us to go into commercial break, but do not go away, because this is a topic that you probably know very little about. I certainly didn't know anything about it until I met Jim Salters. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, and don't go away. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Okay. Oh, James, why don't you say hello, welcome to Inside Out. I missed hearing you say that before. Ah. <laughs> 
Well, hello. Welcome to Inside Out. And uh, we're very happy to have Jim Salters with us. <laughs> and by the way, I just wanted to say that I'm so pleased that he's doing the kind of work he is because my parents had to go to loan sharks uh, when they were under extreme financial distress. And it, it added to their distress greatly that they had to pay such incredibly high interest rates. Mm. And from what I understand, what you do is, as business backers is uh, charge lower rates than the industry uh, norm. And this helps uh, circulate the more money into the uh, hands of people at a more affordable rate. So I'm very happy that uh, you're doing that. Oh, oh great. That's, yeah. That's very sweet. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, so Jim, now bite the bullet and tell us what you do now that you've already disclosed that you're afraid everybody's going to hate you and send you poison pen letters. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, you know, just recently, you know, so we've been in business since 2007. And your and, company's uh, name is? The Business Backer. Okay. And uh, since that time, we've helped about 5,000 small businesses access about $140 million of, of, of capital to, as we say, survive and thrive. And you know, it's, the great thing is that just recently, we're starting to get some outside validation that what we're doing is different. And mm. you know, just recently, we, we were a, a winner of the Better Business Bureau Torch Award, which is a… Excuse a, me, was that the Better Business Bureau Torture Award? <laughs> torch. Torch, okay. I just want to make sure everybody heard yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a business ethics award. And, you know, we're doing some yeah. research, but we're not sure there's ever been a lender of any kind that has ever won uh, the Better Business Bureau uh, Torch Award for business ethics. So that's you know, it, amazing. It, it, feels, it feels good that the outside world, you know, outside of our walls as a company, is starting to see um, and, and recognize the different approach and the, and the different things that we're doing in our space. Well, what has been the typical approach, and what's different about yours? Well, I think it's it, what is interesting about my, at least my viewpoint of uh, financial services in general, and the type of people that work in financial services. Frankly, um, you know, I think you know p- people that end up working in lending or investment, uh, those types of industries. I think. Um, are in those industries because they have certain strengths and certain abilities that, and of course, there's always the cultural factor of, but what we've seen and what I've seen is that the common sense about lending, whether it's to consumers, whether it's to businesses, whether it's to big business, small business, is that the the common sense is I'm going to lend a certain amount of money and it's a numbers, it becomes a numbers game. It becomes dehumanized. It is dehumanized. There's not, I, I, I've never been able to perceive in, this, in, in these notions that there's an actual person on the other end of the transaction. Mm. The, the language used is, you know, it's about transactions and yield and, mm. you know, uh, you know it, it's all abstracted away from humanity. Yeah. And... And I think that leads to a lot of the kinds of things that we've all seen, you know, not just in, I mean, in small business lending, but I mean, the mortgage market and, you know, and how I think it's lended itself to, you get disconnected from human reality, I would say. And, you know, the people on the front lines, for example, in the subprime mortgage, uh, you know, bubble, I think were very clear that what was going on was, was broken. But the, the, the folks that controlled the capital and controlled the decisions and that whole value chain of, 
you know, I issue a loan, but then I sell it to somebody else and I have no risk and it all becomes numbers, it all becomes dehumanized. And, and so, so much more lately in the last few decades where most of the largest lensing institutions have grown by orders of magnitude through mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time when small businesses or even consumers, you went to a more of a community bank. Yeah. There was a banker. They knew you. They knew your community. They knew your, possibly knew your family. And so it was a much more human process. Well, they had a stake. They had a stake in you thriving because it would keep the whole business community of their business community going. It would mean that there would be less blight in their own town. And that bank would actually have to hold that loan. Yes, (laughs) that bank would have to hold that loan. They actually held the risk. One question that popped into my head as you were sharing about that, Jim, is I wonder if, well, of course we know that people get are very disconnected when you're when everything turns into a commodity it's no longer human but i wonder if part of what goes on especially in lending is that people can't allow themselves to feel the pain of the people who are coming towards them for the money that in order for them to charge and to do what they have to do or say yes or no or whatever it's like they they feel that they have to cut off their feelings in order to make rational decisions. I think that could very well be. And the way that the industry, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making generalizations here, but I think the, the financial services industry is set up where it's, it's prone to be thought of as data and numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's almost, it's almost like it's easier to disconnect from the humanness of what's going on in these transactions because it's numbers and it's abstract and it's automated and it's mechanized. And so I think it makes it easy to become disconnected from the humanness of what's actually happening. Well, isn't that... The lenders and the borrowers. Isn't that also true of business in general? Do you remember the big scandals that came up when these Ford Pintos, I think, were blowing up and uh, it turns out that the um, that the automobile company knew that these cars were defective from going to blow up, but that they decided that it was more cost effective to pay out the insurance or to pay out the uh, damages or whatever they were going to have to pay for the accidents of the people blowing up than it would have been to retool. And they actually made a calculation based on numbers, which allowed people to get injured, maimed, and killed. It's really the exact thing that you're talking about. So it's business in general can, can do that when we get too driven by money. Yeah, well, I mean, you're much wiser in the areas of, <laughs> of this than I am. But I think that when you say that, it makes me think that it's not just even in business. Right? No. If, if there's a way to rationalize you know, what we want to do, and that there's a support somewhere around us that will support that or support the rationalization. Um, you know, I think I've, I've been a part of several different industries, and I think um, I've, I've been able to see, you know, pockets, not, this is not to say it's universal, but I, there's pockets of where I think those kinds of um, you know, rationalizations can, can find a home. I love what you said because it's just, it's, the, it's human nature showing up. I mean, business is people. 
everything is people. It's all, it's our egos. It's, uh, I want what I want. It's, I don't want to know. Yeah, I think that's great. But now let's get more specifically back into your business because the interest rates that you charge are still pretty high. And can you explain that? And can you explain the difference between the interest rates you're charging and the interest rates that might be typical in your industry? Sure. Well, I think the most uh, important thing, just as a level set, is that there's a lot more to the cost of a particular loan or uh, uh, a financing than just the rate, right? I mean, there can be upfront fees, there can be ongoing fees, there can be termination fees, early payoff fees, there can be refinancing fees. Mm. So, you know, I mean, in terms of, you know, the total cost, I think, you know, is the is the best way to think about you know what, what ultimately how much is a borrower paying yeah. given you know a certain amount of money that's been lent to them yeah and um you know w- when i took over the business backer in 2009 uh, the first observation i made was that there were some very deceptive things that were going on uh, actually essentially i mean to ex- i i mean I, 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 there's no other way i can think of it then that, that were exploitative yeah and the particulars of how this was done was essentially it was kind of a sleight of hand. There were companies that would offer a financing with a, a rate that was, you know, on paper you saw rate. Uh, the the sleight of hand was before you were done paying off that particular financing, the company would offer you additional funds, force a refinancing of the original financing into a new one. And essentially found a way to trick people into paying twice as much <gasps> for the financing as the rate that was on paper. Oh, my God. So not only was the, the paper, the, the rate on the contract higher I mean, than a bank loan for sure, but then you had this sleight of hand where, and, and we've talked to thousands of these small businesses, and, and when we explained to them what was going on, no, granted, this is money. It's an abstract concept. I think it's it, it's well understood that a lot of people have difficulty conceptualizing money, mm. and I think that's one of the reasons why it's so rife for, uh, ripe for people that you know can be exploited because it's an emotional conversation, but it's also a conversation where a, a lot of a lot of people just don't aren't comfortable thinking about an abstract concept like money so they can be talked into uh, doing things that even right right in black and white on paper it's clear that what's what they're being offered is not what the person's saying to them but they sort of at some point shut down and just decide to trust the person that that is uh, that is working with them and unfortunately it's made it very ripe for exploitation so is that because people are desperate sometimes but um I think, you know, when we look at our particular client base, you know, we, we kind of have two segments. We, we talk about a segment that we're helping to survive. Mm-hmm. Usually it's an unexpected um, expense is the most typical mm-hmm. thing. You know, mm-hmm. I have my restaurant, I'm chugging along, and all of a sudden the roof springs a leak. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I literally cannot stay in business unless I get this fixed. But out of nowhere, five, ten thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars that I don't have laying around threatens <laughs> the viability of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the thrive. I mean, there's folks that are doing well, um, oftentimes smaller growing companies that will they can't take the next big order that could grow their business because they don't have the capital to pay for all the 
people yeah. and the materials and the manufacturing and wait 60 days to get paid. Yeah. So I would say it's you know, equal between you know, the survive um, type of situations and the thrive situations. So how has your company uh, handled these situations differently? Yeah, well, the first thing we did is we said, you know, first of all, you know, the other thing about the the status quo that I think is is just uh, it's broken. Frankly, I think it's it, it's it's not serving, uh, frankly, the companies that are the lenders or the borrowers. Is this notion that, well, I can justify these rates because of the risk. Mm-hmm. If I ch- if I charge enough, I can still make money, even though my underwriting is not very good, <laughs> and. And again, because sometimes there's a combination of possible desperation and also just this lack of sophistication around money with some folks, they're ripe to fall into that game. And so there's companies that that their whole thought process is, how much can I get away with charging? How can Mm -hmm. I hide the true cost? And I don't have to be that good at underwriting because I can cover it up with how much I charge. Mm. And so, you know, for us, the thought process was, hold on a second. Nowhere more so than in lending do we have a symbiotic relationship with our customer. Mm-hmm. We're giving them a bunch of money, <laughs> yeah. and and we can't be healthy unless you know we can get paid back, and they can't be healthy unless we charge them as little as possible, not as much as possible. Yes. So the first tenet of our business model was to truly consider the customer's well-being as important as our own. Mm-hmm. If, we're, if, if we can make enough to be healthy as a business, and we've quantified this. I mean, for us in our business, we need to make 15% profit margin to be healthy as a company, to deal with the ups and downs of defaults, to be, you know, to attract good people, to be able to pay good people, to, you know, to, to continue to deliver a, a great service to our customers. But anything above that, we, we see it as an, not just a, it's not all, all, just altruistic, the most profitable move, I believe, is if there's opportunities for us to charge less, then if we pass the savings through to the customer, that's going to make this, – this is the classic win-win. If we charge them less for the money, they have a better chance of surviving and thriving by accessing the capital. And paying and you back. And paying us back. <laughs> so, you know, but it's so radical in financial services and especially in our industry – to think that my customers' well-being is as important as my own. This is the whole egoic nature of our human consciousness that we're trying to confront in every single way at the stream and in our organization. You know, we call it becoming mutually supportive, where we realize that if we don't all thrive, I don't thrive. And that if it doesn't support the whole, then it can't really support me. And that we always ask the question, what is for the highest good of all, including me? And here you are in an industry where you're showing blatantly that that is not being done, even though it's like the goose, I don't know, it's the goose that lays the golden egg is being killed by the money lender. (laughs) And that it's being compensated by, by gouging the people who can afford to get gouged. Uh, and and then what happens is that you're actually destroying the businesses that you're trying to save, and that's bad for the economy because as you were talking about, you know how much small business helps uh, is part of the important infrastructure, so that we can see that it isn't just the small business who's being hurt, but all of us are hurt by these exorbitant interest rates. 
So that is fantastic, and that is bringing spirituality and consciousness into this field, which could be considered money, money lending, because you're realizing that we are all connected, we are all one, and we can't, we cannot thrive at the expense of one another. So I say hallelujah, and I'm so delighted that you're doing that. Now, um, one of the things that I'd like to talk to you about a little bit later, because we're going to be going into commercial break now in a, uh, you know, in a minute or so, is why do the rates have to be as high as they are? I know that you're trying really hard to minimize them, but why, you know, what is it that makes up that interest rate other than that Jim Salters wakes up in the morning and says, well, how much can the market bear today, you know? <laughs> so, so I'd like to, when we come back from break, I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, to explain that to people. Um, but before we go to break, which is just going to be in a couple of seconds, everybody take a deep breath and ask yourself during the break, of course, listen to our commercial, you know, how do you feel about this guy? You know, are you believing him? Are you beginning to get a different perspective on things? Or are you going, oh, yeah, 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 I don't believe it. So with all of that in mind, we are going to take a break and do come back or don't go away. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi, welcome back to Inside Out. Um, this is your host, Beth Green, and co-host, James Maynard. And today we are interviewing Jim Salters, who is running a business called The Business Backer, which is making loans to small businesses who need the money, either to survive or to thrive or, uh, you know, the roof is leaking. And uh, he's talking about 
bringing in an ethical, let's say this is the ethical aspect of spirituality, an ethical approach to lending in an industry that has been full of what could be called loan sharks. And we're just delighted that he's here with us and that he is willing to share so openly about, uh, you know, his industry and what they're trying to do. So um, I know that I asked you a question before we went to break, and it was about why do the interest rates have to be so high, Jim? Let us understand this from the inside. Because, see, if we are the ones who are borrowing the money, all I want as the, the consumer of that loan is I want the money as cheaply as possible. You know, you're, it's, it's not just the lender who is stuck in ego. It's everybody. You know, I, it's the same thing with the home loan. I don't sit there and worry about the well-being of the bank. I said, where can I get, you know, 3.25% or 3.5% or 4%? I remember the days when, when you went to borrow money on a house, 12, 13, 14% interest. You know, we bought these cheap houses, but we had these huge payments. And thank God the interest rates are lower. And it's really allowing people to buy more and get more value. But I never think about the, what, what it takes for somebody to lend me the money. And that's just as much ego as if you're the businessman who's lending the money and you don't care what you're doing to your customer. So, so just share a little bit with us about what it, what it takes to lend money to a small business. Sure. Well, and just real quick, I mean, that notion that it's a two-way adversarial relationship between a business and its customers is, I think, if I, if I could wave a magic wand and change one thing, I think that would improve you know, the, our economy and our business, it would, it would be that issue. Right? The notion yes. that it's got to be win-win for both of us. Yes. And, I, you know, I think that's it's, – it's a lofty goal, but I think it, w- it would be probably the, the most powerful transfer- transformational thing that, that, that could really change a lot of the, the things that we see on both sides of the, mm-hmm. of the transactions out there in, in our economy. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so, you know, for us, the – I mean, there's, there's, two, there's two primary – well, I say three primary things that, that go into the cost uh, in our market specifically – um, the first is cost of capital. Uh, essentially, money is our inventory. And given the fact that traditional banks, they don't know how to underwrite a small business very well. I think this is not controversial. <laughs> I think it's well accept- accepted by the banks themselves to the point where they're, you know, we have a whole slew of banks that we're working with that recognize that fact. But when the primary sources of capital for us uh, look at the business we're in and they say, I wouldn't, you know, I'm a bank. I could lend you money to lend with, but I wouldn't lend to your customer. So why should I lend to you? There's a perception, you know, and this, you know, this whole alternative lending to small business industry is very much in its early stages. And I think this will change over time and we're trying to drive that change. But, Cost of capital is the first ingredient. And can I uh, can I underline that I don't think any of us thinks about the fact that you have to borrow the money to lend the money. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. think about that. I think why is he li- charging so much money? Well, some, he has to pay for that money somehow. It's like you don't have uh, millions of dollars in pots in, under your bed. That you go to in the middle of the night when Joe Schmo calls and says, "I need a loan." You say, "No problem, Joe." Here's forty mil. So that's that's very helpful. 
Right. Well, traditional banks, I mean, w- one of their sources of capital to lend with is the, the money in the checking and savings accounts. Right, which we are lending to the banks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And what are you... Uh, what are the other two points? By the way, we have a caller on the phone, but I'd like you to complete this thought sure, before sure. we go to her. So the first thing is cost of capital. The second thing is the cost of the sales and marketing. Of course, you know, like any business, mm-hmm. lenders have to spend a certain amount of money or pay commissions to brokers or you know, pay money to advertise online or just pay money to advertise elsewhere. That is a part of their cost structure. So if a lender has a expensive uh, sales and marketing budget, that's going to end up in the rate. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece is to cover losses. I mean, I think, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, and that's probably the most significant piece is, you know, it's great that the bank has such low rates, but who can get it? Mm. It's very yeah. narrow, that the, who, can, who can access the capital. Yeah. So we start talking about, okay, e- either... You have to be very picky about who you lend to, and you know I would call that cherry picking. You know, mm-hmm. the adage with banks is if you don't need the money, that's when they'll lend it to you. <laughs> right? So the risk is yeah. obviously tremendously low, and then yeah. you can access these low rates. But yeah. if there's uncertainty or risk in um, the lending decision, and that's in the eye of the beholder, I think that's the most important part of our business: is risk is in the eye of the lender. Mm-hmm. So the better you are at underwriting, the better you are at understanding how to help that customer succeed, not figure out how to make money off them. And that's that's the big thing of our approach is we partner with business coaching and consulting companies, other small business advisors. We want to affect the outcome, right? If the small business's well-being is as important as my own, why would I think so narrowly about just how much you know the, the, the financing that I give them? Why, you know, why wouldn't I think, how else can I positively affect the outcome for my clients? And sometimes it's helping them save money on other services. Sometimes it's helping them get coaching or consulting or you know, other kinds of help to, to run their business better. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we can think about risk. But fundamentally, if we have a better mousetrap, a better way of understanding and analyzing the risk of a particular small business, we can charge less because we'll have lower default, lower loss rates. And if we can be better about not requiring our good customers to subsidize the ones who don't pay us back, mm-hmm. we can charge a lot less and still yeah. be healthy ourselves. Yeah, because everybody is doing better. Terrific. Well, we have a call from Helen from San Diego. Hi, Jim. Hi, Helen. Hi. I, I want to ask you, how do you and your staff handle the stress of this business? Hmm. Spoken like a therapist. <laughs> I, I would imagine it's very stressful to you know, have to say no to people or then to see people defaulting that you've really put a lot into. So I just wanted to know how you handle that. Thank you. Great question. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there can be a lot of that stress. And, you know, for us, um, you know, I've built our company, you know, and I've intentionally tried to build our company uh, on a sound, found, you know, ethical and uh, foundation of integrity. We, our, our employees know that every decision we make 
is is guided by what is best for the company for the customer that doesn't hurt us. Mm. And so, oftentimes, where this stress shows up is uh, when our customers call in and say, "Hey, I'm having a problem." And oftentimes, the reaction from a lender would be, okay, well, I'm going to go into heavy mode here. <laughs> and so I'm going to threaten to sue you. I'm going to, you know, it, it's a very aggressive and, and uh, you know, it, it's not a supportive uh, move. And, and actually, we've, we've, we've proven to ourselves that when we take a more um, compassionate approach and actually help our customer any way we can, we actually end up with lower losses because sometimes all we have to do is be understanding and willing to listen hmm. and be flexible. Sometimes it's, hey, I'm having a problem, and for two, three weeks, I'm not going to be able to make payments. But you know, they, they just started construction in front of my business. It'll be out of here in two or three weeks, and I'll be back on track, but I can't make payments for three weeks. And we literally have um, competitors out there, lenders that are essentially in that scenario would tell them, no way. We're going to get paid, and it's a power play. Mm. And you know, but you know, our folks, I think, our our team at the business backer, I think, one of the ways they're able to handle that stress is to know we're doing everything we can. Yeah. And when when you're in a situation and you know I'm making decisions with integrity, I'm acting with integrity, and I'm doing everything we possibly can to help, then I think that that you know that's that's certainly a relief, and I can tell you there's nothing more motivating and nothing more uh, powerful for our, our team is when we we're we're willing to trust and we're willing to help and support, and it comes back to us, and it's 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 just as frequent that somebody you know screws us or you know does lies to us or or steals from us, yeah, but. When, when we run into these situations where we've really gone out of our way to help someone, we've really you know placed a lot of trust in their hands. Yeah. That you know we, we've extended the olive branch first, and when they reciprocate that with, you know, making sure that you know even even though I'm going out of business, I'm going to make this right. And mm. we have customers that have you know stood up and said, I, I'm going to make sure that I make this right with you guys because you were there for me. Uh, that, that's the validation that I think really helps our, our team stay committed to doing the right thing. That's amazing, Jim. It was a great question, Helen. Uh, it's, it's amazing to, to feel touched, actually, <laughs> by listening to a lender talk about loans and uh, to really feel how much you are dedicated to being in relationship with people. Before we do one more thing, I want to make sure that you give people your website if they are interested in learning more about your company, where do they go, Jim? Yeah, businessbacker.com. And that's businessbacker singular because I went to businessbackers. So forget businessbackers. Make it businessbacker.com. <laughs> they both work. So. Oh, do they? <laughs> we, we own most of the variations. Oh. The businessbacker, businessbackers, businessbacker. That was a very good move. So tell us very briefly, uh, Jim, because we are, believe it or not, running out of time. Are you succeeding? I think we are. Uh, first of all, I mean, we've, we've grown by 10 times in the last four years. Almost exclusively, I call, you know, we call it stealing 
customers from our competitors. And it's purely a conversation of we can provide the financing that you need at roughly half the cost. So it's not a very hard sell. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Plus and, you're and, offering that support. And it uh, and sounds it, like you're getting support from the universe as well. Well, so w- one of the things about this industry, and I think one of the things I'm most proud of is this industry, when I, certainly when I got into it, I mean, I, believe me, I had my reservations, and I think the first thing that you know I did in the very early days was say, basically, if we can't be in this business and do it the right way, then we shouldn't be in business. Mm-hmm. And it, that there's, there's nothing scarier for me, I probably in my life, because I mortgaged everything I owned, everything our family owned, um, and, and risked it to, to, to pursue this vision. And the fact that we've been able to grow to the extent we have, um, but more importantly, we are changing the conversation mm-hmm. in our industry. And people are looking at us and, you know, right now, I mean, we're getting almost every week a different private equity firm or some kind of investment company saying, hey, we saw you on these, you won these awards, we want to talk about investing. And, and we're having this conversation on our terms. You know, the first conversations we had with those kind of people, it was, you know, they want to hear how much are you charging, how high are the margins, mm-hmm. how, how can you increase the margins, you know, how can you make more, more, more money here? And right up front, we tell people that is not how we think about this business. So if that's a problem for you, we can end this conversation now. But we're generating such growth and we're having such success in, in getting more and more folks that we can help, more small businesses that we can help. In a way, we're forcing these uh, investors and even our competitors to rethink how they are thinking about their business. I mean, our, my goal every day is that not just are we going to run our business in a way that makes us feel good or that, that, that makes our customers feel good. I fundamentally believe that this approach to business also works better. Yes. And, so and with that, my goal. Um, My goal is to force our competitors to examine how we're doing things because we're kicking their butt. Right. Fantastic. (laughs) We're going to have to end on that note and quickly go to James to tell us what we're going to be tackling next week. Very good. Thanks. Our next edition of Inside Out is going to be a 21st century Thanksgiving, acknowledging your life as a techno miracle and embracing the chance for more. Technology can truly be miraculous in our lives. Communication, music, information, physical well-being. What isn't supported by technology today? Are we taking full advantage of what technology has to offer? What ideas, habits, and beliefs block us? How can we shift our attitudes to embrace this new world? So we're going to hear from two who are grateful for technology. One is Christine Benton, a smart, healthy, 40-something woman who loves technology and all the learning and connecting it facilitates for her and her family. The other is our host, Beth Green, a woman who has struggled with chronic illness and disability her whole life, but who can be with people even when housebound and compose music even when too crippled to play, thanks to technology. So share your own techno miracles, and let's celebrate a 21st century Thanksgiving with a Thank You Geeks Day. Now, that's a pretty wild topic for a Thanksgiving show, but I love it. Tune in. Let's not let technology scare us and let's be great. You know, every morning I should get up and say, thank God for technology, although usually I'm cursing it because I can't get my computer to work. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. You've been a doll. 
I love you, and I'm so grateful for our audience. Thanks, well, yeah, and thank you so much for having me. See you next week. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.